0: luke chapter 7 this morning as we're getting near the end of the series of jesus is it's really answering the question who is jesus and that fundamentally is a question that is being asked at the very end of this true and accurate story that has been given you know, growing up, your parents try to hopefully instill certain things in you, and you remember these things, and then you dutifully take those things and then tell them to your kids. One of those things is you teach your kids there is a difference between what you want and what you need. See that? You know. You know. You've been there because you were probably at a time, a child who wanted something, but you did not necessarily need it. And you probably heard somebody tell you, well, for... 15,000 years or whatever, kids have not needed, you know, that skateboard. That's what it was for me. You know, I wanted this skateboard and I wanted everything that went, and it had to be the right kind. You know, there's a difference between what you want and what you need. There are a lot of people who come to church or who seek out God or quote-unquote religion because they want something. They're looking to gain something back. They're looking to get something out of it. What am I going to get from this? But many times it's that want that is not their greatest need. And so here in this passage, we are going to see really pitting against one another. The proud Pharisee versus the humble woman. And our theme this morning in your notes, if you're looking at that, and I have a little correction on that, is that believers have peace with God because of the forgiveness found in Jesus alone. Now you may have thought, you know, you came in here and thought, man, he's teaching heresy today because, you know, I wrote in there not because of the forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. Uh, but I was, it was getting too wordy and I just shuffled it down and, uh, in anyway. So, but believers have peace with God. This is what we need. We need forgiveness that is found in Christ. We need food. We need water we need shelter we need clothing we there are certain things that we need physically but spiritually the greatest thing that we need is we need forgiveness reconciliation we need to be in a right relationship with God and that is only found by means of Jesus himself now the passage that we read this morning and that we're going to look at this passage here um, is uh, sometimes mixed with another passage, another uh, person who anoints the feet of Jesus. This is found in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and John 12. Now, this is a different story altogether. This is a different account in those it was a different location there it was in bethany and here this is in galilee in those it took place right before the death of jesus and it was to prepare him and anoint him for his death and burial and resurrection here this is about a year prior to that in those sections the lady um is uh mary of bethany who was uh, Martha's sister and Lazarus's sister um, but here we don't know this person's name uh, we just know that she was a woman from the city some people have speculated that this is Mary Magdalene um, I'm not sure about that it doesn't say later on in chapter 8 verse 2 Mary Magdalene is referenced and so it kind of seems interesting that since she's referenced in chapter 8 verse 2 she if that's who it was it would have been named luke would have named her but nevertheless uh, he doesn't finally the the people are different in the fact that this is a pharisee's home whose name is simon in the, the latter one, in uh, Matthew 26, Mark 14, John 12, that is Simon the leper. So it's, this is a, a, a an account that is actually only recorded in the Gospel of Luke. And Luke includes this in his narrative in this section right here to answer the question that these people who were at this party who were at this festival uh, this special dinner that who is this who is this he has been showing himself who he is the greatness of who he is that he alone is indeed the messiah and so here we're going to see really a, 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 an incredible account of the grace and mercy of Jesus. First of all, notice in in chapter 7, beginning in verse 36, how how Jesus accepts a sinful woman's worship. He accepts this worship. Now, if you'll notice there in verse 36, the Pharisee uh, asks Jesus to come and eat. Now, I think right there off the bat, that is an amazing and an astounding thought. Many times Jesus would go and he would eat with you know sinners and tax collectors and, and Jesus loved to be with them because he was teaching them the truth and they many times were what? They were receptive to the truth. You, you see that especially in the Gospel of Luke over and over Jesus speaks the truth to the folks who were outside of the bounds but he doesn't leave them there he tells them the truth and they return they turn to him here Jesus is going to a Pharisee's home he's going to somebody who usually he is opposing them right isn't he normally lamb blasting them saying woe to you but yet here Jesus goes and he sits he gives them an opportunity to repent You know, sometimes it's easy for us. I heard somebody phrase it this way. It's easy for us to be a Pharisee to the Pharisees. People that we see and we know that, we just kind of know that they're kind of legalistic in that sense. And we go, oh, I'm much better than they are. I'm not a legalist. Right? (laughs) You're like, you understand what you're doing. I'm like, I understand what I'm doing. They need God's grace We need God's grace. And so Jesus goes and He accepts. He eats at the Pharisee's house. He reclines here at the table. Jesus' grace is wide. He will eat with Simon the leper and He'll eat with Simon the Pharisee. And the point is so that He can share His incredible grace and mercy to them. Well, while this Pharisee is having this, this dinner party, It probably was a festival of some sort. Uh, Commentators are not 100% sure, but it's very possible that this was something that, the doors were open and it was kind of like a, a drop-in thing where people could, from the city, they could come and, and they could drop in anytime they would like and, and uh, they could move in and out. And especially if they weren't quote-unquote important, they could come and they could stand back by the walls and just observe, come in and hear the conversation that was going on and just kind of be a fly on the wall and to hear what was taking place. Well, here comes this woman. Notice Luke tries to get your attention in verse 37 because he says, Behold. that That is an indicator to say, here is something that's weird that's going on. Here's something that is twisting in the plot. There is a woman of the city who was a sinner. So this is most likely... a a nice way that Luke is writing that she was a prostitute. That here she was a woman of uh, of the city. She was a sinner. But she had learned the location of Jesus. She found out where Jesus is going to be. You see, she found this information out and it says that while Jesus was reclining at the table at the Pharisee's house, she brings something to him. Now, in, in our culture, we have a nice big table and we have chairs that sit up off the, the, the ground. But in this culture, the, the table would be low and they would actually be laying on the floor. They would have maybe a pillow or whatever, but their head would be near the top of the table. So they would, lay, kind of like in those parking spots you see that are kind of staggered, they would kind of lie like that, so that their feet aren't, I'm not going to get down and demonstrate it for you, because <laughs> it's going to be hard to get back up. But they, they lay down and with their head right by, the, and so they could just sit there and eat with their feet extended out. And so they're all kind of lying around the, the table, reclining like that. To us, that's rather strange. I, I, I would feel very uncomfortable eating that way. But this is how they did it. And so th- she comes in and Jesus is right there. Jesus is right by the table. He's eating. So his, his head is not easily accessible, but his feet are. And so this woman comes in and she, she just wants to show her appreciation. She just wants to show her love because of what has already happened to her. We'll get into that in a few minutes. But she brings an alabaster flask of ointment. So this was generally a, a, a container that was rounded and there were different types of jars that they used to, to keep these in and the jars themselves would have had some value but it was really the kind of thing where uh, they would take it and they would break part of the neck off so that they would easily be able to pour and to anoint. Now this was not general olive oil which was very plentiful and when things are very plentiful they're very cheap. Okay? That's not what this was. So later on, when it talks about the ointment, it really was more of a, a perfume type of thing that they would, that they would use uh, during, this, uh, during this kind of a festival, especially to celebrate what would be going on. You know, in, in this culture, they like things to smell uh, nice as well, right? That's why uh, we like to have, you have a, a dinner party over many times, what do you do? You don't bust out the alabaster box and, 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 you know, you you light some candles, right? Some smelling candles, not just, you know, the candle, But you light some smelling candles. What kind of candle are you going to burn? So that it smells good. The aroma is there. And so she was bringing this, something to this festival, something to this dinner that nobody else was bringing she had easy access to her his feet it says in verse 38 that she was standing behind him at his feet but she wasn't just standing there it says she was weeping she, so she she was this was not fake this wasn't something that was conjured up this was pure raw genuine emotion it was so much that it flowed from her face she was flooding her face with her tears. They were falling down on his feet. And it says that they wet his feet and with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head. Now, this was important because ladies in this culture generally wore their hair up. If they had long hair, they would take it and they would wrap it, and it would be it would be up. And to let your hair down in the middle of the the day or at a dinner party would generally be inappropriate. It just wasn't the thing that they did. Whether we understand it or not doesn't matter. It's just that's how they did it. So for her, her hair was being up. She actually had to take it and she would have unraveled everything so as to to do this on purpose. She was, she was showing her care. You see, she knew at this time, she knew that her greatest need was not for the people to think well of her. Because actually, it took a lot of courage and boldness for this woman to show up at this place. Do you get that? For her to even come in said, my need is greater than the fear and the judgment that I'm going to incur. And because of that, she knew her greatest need. Her greatest need was forgiveness. And that's application number one there in your outline. Just like this lady, we need to understand our greatest need. Our greatest need is not necessarily physical. Our greatest need is spiritual. Our greatest need is to know and have the forgiveness that only comes in Jesus Christ. So many people think that they're okay. So many people think that they don't have a need. Or if they do have a need, they think, well, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. And in their own mind they think, well, my good will outweigh my bad or I'll do this and try to show, you know, a little bit of good in this way or or however they want to work it out. But we have to understand what God says about us. We have to understand that the Bible says that we aren't just sick, but that we're dead. We are dead in trespasses and sins. That's what it says in Ephesians 2, verse 1. And in verse 3, it says that not only are we dead in trespasses and sins, it says, but we are by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. You have to just turn on the news and you see the convoluted, the insane thinking of people, and they're just acting according to their nature. And so, we get angry about that. I understand that. But but really, we need to look and see their greatest need is is Christ. Their greatest need, the greatest need for people is to see that they need the changing power of the Holy Spirit to draw them to the Savior. That is what we all need. David understood this. It comes from Adam. Adam. He says in Psalm 51, verse 5, "...behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me." In other words, by the very nature of just being a human being, I have a sin nature. That's that's what I do. The very nature, it, it is very natural for me to be selfish. Is it natural for you to be selfish? It's it's just natural. It's natural for, for me to want to look out for me. It's na- it's just natural. That's how I'm built. And that's how you're built too. Uh, we we all have a sin nature. And we are we are dead and, and we have a well, there is a cure and we need the cure, but we can't get sidetracked off onto the, the other things because we have a great and incredible need. It's really interesting to hear Johnny come and speak last week. If you didn't get to, to come and hear, he was recounting the, uh, how he had had a heart attack, which you, if you're going to have a heart attack, you don't want to have one in Africa. Right? I think we've learned that. But let's talk about two things. Let's talk about heart attacks and let's talk about pets. Okay? Let's talk about those two things for a second. And you say, what in the world are you talking about? Well, having a heart attack is bad, right? And having a pet is good, right? Anybody disagree with that? Having a a pet is 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 a fun thing, right? In our family, we just got a brand new pet. No more dogs, no more cats. We got this lizard, right? Lizard, right? Stays in its cage, eats some mealworms, some crickets. It's really fun to watch that that thing. But you know, it, it's pretty low maintenance, okay? And I have lots of lizard stories, okay? I am a lizard killer, but um, so I am not taking care of this thing. But, 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 pets are good. They're fun. They can bring a lot of joy to your life. Um, you know, I, I when I think about my childhood, I think about my dogs, and yeah, you know, I, I, I enjoy pets, but you know. Having a heart attack is a bad thing. And Johnny told the story of how I know that it was really difficult for him even to get into the hospital, even to have it open for him to have someone to care for him while he was having a heart attack. So he's in the hospital and he's sitting on in the bed. And the doctor finally comes in and says, after what, an hour or whatever, and says, yep, you're right, you're having a heart attack. He's like, I could have told you that. And he looks over there, and he sees, you know what he sees? A cat. Now, he sees a cat in the hospital. Think about that for a minute. This is, this is imagine in that moment while he has a, is having a heart attack, and he says, you know, I've always wanted a pet. Excuse me, nurse, nurse, do you think I could have that cat? Do you think that that cat, you know, because, I mean, think about the joy that that cat would bring me. The cat would be wonderful to have. I could could feed it, I could pay, it could come and sit down and meow at me, and when I call out to it, it can ignore me, right? Only an insane person would start thinking like that. Because at that time, your greatest need is what? Your physical heart. Your own health. That is what is your greatest need. And I will submit, there are lots of people out there who are in the hospital, only they have flatlined and... They're worried about cats. I don't know how you worry about cats when when you're flat I don't know. But just stick with the illustration, okay? The point is, we're casting our eyes on things that really, really don't matter. We need God. We need His grace. We need His grace. Notice what happens here. It says that she not only wipes her hair, she knew her need, she knew who he was, she had already experienced forgiveness. Because she had trusted in him. This is all a, an affirmation of her love. It so says she wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment, with the, the fragrance that she had there. She can, she was continually doing this, one step after another. The, the original text and the language, it indicates consecutive things going on. so, So it was almost like a little production. It was almost like a little ceremony that was going on. She was wetting his feet. Then she took the time to wipe. And then she's going over and kissing his feet. And then she is anointing it. All of this takes time. It took courage for her to come into the house to begin with. Imagine the courage that it took for her to take the spotlight and do all of that. But the fact is, her love was so great, she just didn't care. She just didn't care because God met her greatest need. Here was a woman who was in a situation. Most likely, she didn't grow up and say, boy, you know, this is what I think I want to do for a job. Who knows how she got into that horrific situation. But the fact is she was there and she saw the greatest need that she had was forgiveness in Christ. And she loved much. You see, when she was down there at Jesus' feet, she didn't walk in and say, excuse me, can you sit up? I'd like to anoint your head. She comes in and she says, I, I'm going to go right here at your feet. She was showing her humility and isn't it true that to come to god we must be humble god gives grace to the humble we need to be humble people we need to be people who are humble well notice what happens in verses 39 to 43 jesus is going to show and answer the prideful man's objection verse 39 here there's a there's a switch in who is going to take over the the main focus of the story now it's going to focus on the pharisee now when the pharisee who had invited him saw this he said to himself do you get that he said to himself does he say to the crowd does he say to his guests does he say to jesus no he says it to himself nobody hears it so where is he saying it He's saying it in his mind. These are his thoughts. Keep that in mind for a second. So he says in his own mind here, he says to himself, if this man were a prophet, which prior to this, it had been stated, right? With John. When John said, are are you a true prophet? Are you the one who is to come? And Jesus answers him. You think this Pharisee doesn't know about that? Of course the Pharisee knows everything that's going on. But she... He says, if this was a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she's a sinner. She is a sinner. Now, what's really interesting is Jesus is going to answer this man's thoughts. You know, almost every time in the Bible when God answers somebody's thoughts when jesus answers somebody's thoughts it's always a bad thing it's always it's almost always a bad thing because you know by the time you're an adult most people have learned to have a filter right to not let anything that enters into your mind come out of your mouth but you can't hide anything from god so, so here, he's thinking, if this guy was a prophet, he would know this stuff. Meaning what? He's not really a prophet. He's not true. See that? He's, he's a fake prophet. He's not really who he says he is. And so what Jesus does is Jesus answers him. Jesus said in verse 40, Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he says, Say it, Teacher. Uh, uh, then then he's going to give him a parable. We'll look at that in a second. But I mean, imagine how Simon will be astounded by this. Imagine you're sitting there at the the dinner table. You get invited over to somebody's house and somebody says, listen, I'm going to have you come over to my house and I am going to fix you my grandmother's from the old country, her special recipe for lasagna i mean it is going to knock your socks off it is the greatest stuff ever this has been passed down to my family in generations. I don't make this for anybody. It is special. I'm only going gonna, gonna to make it for you because you're going to be my special guest. You come in. You sit down. Everything is beautiful. The candles are lit. You even got some Yankee candles going on, so it smells good, even though with that food, you don't need any candles, right? And so you're sitting down. You take the first bite, and you, in your mind, with a big smile on your face, in your mind, you think, man, Chef Boyardee tastes better than this stuff what would go through your mind if that guest looked at you and said Chef Boyardee eh (laughs) now you didn't say anything you were smiling you would think how do you know that and you are a different kind of person (laughs) well we don't experience that generally Because we're not we're the prophet like Jesus, and so here is Jesus who does this. So when this Jesus is going to answer this Pharisee, this Pharisee better listen. He says, "I got something to tell you." And he says, "Well, go ahead, teacher." He's still showing respect by giving him the 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 authority and by calling him teacher. He says. There was a certain money lender who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50, and when he could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? You see, up to this point, what had been taking place? Up to this point, Simon had been comparing himself. He'd been comparing himself with the woman. And that's an, uh, an application we need to understand right there. Because Jesus is using this parable to confront that. So number two there in your outline, do not, don't compare yourself with others. Don't do it. Don't compare yourself with others. Because we, we have to understand that it's, it's always easy to find someone who is lower than we are. But it's also just as easy to find someone better. So, just cut it out. The only person we need to compare ourselves with is God. And, and we need to seek to grow. And in regards to, in regards to comparing ourselves, and when you, when you do see those things, we need to have the attitude of seeking to bring people along. Because at one point, we were on that road. So, for instance, imagine uh, last year, and I mean like a whole year and a couple months, a, a year and three months ago, you decided, you know what? I know some of you all don't need to do this. But you said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to lose 35 pounds. Okay, I'm going to lose 35 pounds. And so in that time, you've done it. You've done it. And you're like, you know, I'm going to keep going. And there was, at the beginning of this year, someone who said, I'm going to do the same thing. Now, they're only three months into it, and they've lost seven pounds. And they tell you, hey, I lost seven pounds. And you go, pfft, I've lost 35. Now, what is ridiculous about that? What's ridiculous about that is there was a time when you had only lost seven pounds. That you were, uh, you have to get to seven before you can get to 35 there was a time when you were there and so really as christians we see people that are growing people who have come to christ and they're growing and and they may not be spiritually as much and we need to say hey let me encourage you let me take you along and help you along rather than throwing down judgment." And this man here, he's just looking down at this woman. He's, he's looking down at her because he thinks he is so much greater. And this parable is going to show what this woman is actually doing. She doesn't come here for forgiveness. She already has forgiveness. And she is demonstrating her love of forgiveness. Forgiveness. See this in this parable that Jesus gives, which is something that's interesting that Luke does. He'll take a, a story and then insert a parable in the teaching and then finish the story. Here what he does, he says there's a guy who owes uh, 500 denarii and one who owes 50. A denarii was a a, a day's wage. How much you earn? A, a day laborer, just a, a normal person who, who would uh, figure that out. So you got 50 and 500. I put that at, uh, uh, you know, you're looking at $120 a day because you've got to make $15 an hour. Uh, at 8 hours a day times 50, that's $6,000. Okay? $6,000. Well, you multiply that by 500 or, or the amount by 500, you got $60,000. So, just in general terms, right? You've got $6,000 versus $60,000. Now, this is kind of... Almost like somebody calling you up saying, hey, you know what? You know your car that you, almost, that you, have, you, know, you paid some money on? I'm going to take the care of the rest. And you're like, wow, cool. Thanks. And then somebody calls up and says, hey, your bank calls you and says, hey, you know your house? Paid off. Done. <laughs> I'm going to be a little more excited if you pay off my house than if you pay off my car. Right? I mean, that, this is how I would be. Yeah, I know a lot more in my house than in my car. And, and here, these were people who were indebted. And, and they most likely would not have gotten out of this. That's really the idea. If you're only making this, but you owe that amount, how are you going to get out of it? It's, it's very, very difficult. And so the, the idea here is a, a little versus a lot. And just by way of illustration, the man gets it. He says, well, uh, I I would assume the one, I suppose, in verse 43, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he says, yep, you're right. You have judged rightly. See, before you were judging improperly. But this time, you have made a right judgment. It's kind of like David, when David was confronted with his sin, and he had the the parable uh, from Nathan the prophet, and he saw it. Sometimes stories kind of help us out to understand the truth about ourselves. And here this man finally got it. Now, what's interesting is, look at this, at the end of 43 and going into 44. So he's talking to Simon. He says, Simon, you have judged rightly. Then he looks at the woman, but looking at the woman, he speaks to Simon. Do you get that? So he's, he's using these two. He's using Simon and he's using the woman to, to illustrate this truth. And he says, do you see this woman? He says, essentially, you want to compare i'll compare jesus says i entered into this house you gave me no water for my feet see it was customary in those days you know this that they wore sandals and what happens when you're walking in sandals and you go on these dusty roads i'm sure that has occurred to you a, a, a time or two and your feet are just they're just filled with dust I mean, they didn't wear socks and uh, shoes that were covered. And so their feet were dirty. So it was a common thing. You come in, you walk into the home, and they would wash your feet. I know to us that's kind of gross that's disgusting but that was a common thing it was almost like when you walk into somebody's home today and it's cold outside what do you tell somebody as soon as they enter say oh let me take your jacket right let let me take your coat and you take it it's just a common thing that as a as a host you do when you there they come in it was just a common thing you wash their feet simon didn't do that the pharisee didn't do it jesus's feet were no concern to him but look at what she did. She wet her feet, his feet, with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You know, most ladies like their hair. Isn't it true? I mean, most ladies like their hair. Now, guys, we're just like, whatever. I mean, there are some guys that care about their hair, but most of us, eh, whatever. As long as it doesn't look horrible. But ladies like their hair. To wash feet. With hair. Think about that. That is an extreme example of devotion and love. And the Pharisee didn't do anything. He didn't didn't even ask a servant to do that for him. It says in verse 45 You gave me no kiss, but when the time, from the time. I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. The idea here of the kiss is just a, a, a familiar greeting. For, for us, it would be, when, when you came in, you didn't even shake my hand. You didn't even give me a fist bump. You, you didn't do anything. You didn't even greet me properly. And yet this woman, look at the extreme measure. She has showed her affection to me. Not kissing on the cheek, but kissing my feet. You want to compare? Verse 46, you do not anoint my head with oil. The Old Testament is uh, filled with examples of anointing someone's head with oil and the, the, the showing of honor that that meant. And he says, you haven't done that, but look at this woman. What has she done? She anointed my feet with ointment. The expensive stuff. She, she didn't have an opportunity to get to my head, so she took my feet and it says, Therefore I tell you, verse 47. We see that her sins are forgiven. We see that Jesus forgives this sinful woman. See, when the, the man, when, he, uh, when the Pharisee saw the woman, all he could see is what she used to be. He couldn't see what she now was. G. Campbell Morgan put it this way, Simon could not see that that woman as she then was for looking at her as she had been. You see, he couldn't see her as a forgiven individual. He only saw her for her past. But the difference is, when you come to Christ, you are made different. You are no longer who you used to be. When you come to Christ you are a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away and the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5:17. So in light of this, we need to understand that when we come to Christ, we don't allow our past to define who we are. We don't allow the past, the past sins, the past regrets, the past failures the past lack of faith. We don't allow that to define who we are in Christ. We, we see the greatness of who God is and what He does in changing us. Because when we are in Christ now, we are a new creature she has anointed His head. She has done all of these things. And in verse. And so our third application is to demonstrate love for Christ. To demonstrate love for Christ. This is what she was doing. She, she was just pouring out her love. She, she was forgiven much, so she was going to love much. A simple question I just ask you, but I ask myself, How have I shown Christ that I love Him? Even this week, how have I shown Him? How have I demonstrated that I love Him? And thinking the debt that He canceled, which is enormous, the debt that has been canceled because of Christ, how have I demonstrated that love to Him? Have I just kind of taken the things that He's given me Taken the blessings that he has given me, have I tried to make it all about me, or have I tried to make it all about him? thanking him, giving him glory and honor, demonstrating love for him? see we we need to see that we need to be people who love much, love Christ much, and use that as motivation, you know. I can forgive this person because of look at what he has forgiven me. I can love this person who is very unlovely because Christ loved me when I was his enemy. That is showing love and devotion to Christ. We need to do this. We need to show and demonstrate great love for Christ. This was the proof. Notice in verse 47, Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she has loved much. He's not saying, because she did these things... She is forgiven. She's saying these things are showing and demonstrating the fact that she is forgiven. The, the original text and language bears this out, that this is something that has already been taken care of. She's already been forgiven. Uh, one commentator gave this illustration said, Oh, look, it's, uh, the, the ledge outside is wet. It's raining. Now, wait a minute. Think about that. Because the ledge is wet, is that making it rain? No. We understand what that person is saying. The ledge is wet, it's raining. Meaning, that's the evidence that it is raining. Her evidence of loving Christ is found in what she is doing. She doesn't care. She does not care what people think. She's going to be extravagant in her love. Jesus affirms What is already true? Your sins are forgiven. Verse forty-nine through fifty, we see that Jesus gives the woman peace. He gives the woman peace. He 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 kind of like casts like don't don't forget this. I want you to have this. It says, then those who were at the table with him. Remember, this didn't play. Out. This wasn't just like Jesus and the lady by themselves. This was in front of everybody, and so the woman and and Jesus, Jesus says, or, or, or everybody there think about what's going on, and they say among themselves, "Who is this?" who even forgives sins. I mean, they came to this. Jesus very well may have been the honored guest, but they weren't thinking that the honored guest was going to forgive somebody's sins. Who is this? Then He says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. He says, you've been burdened you, you've been living a life that is filled with guilt. And he says, I want you to go and I want you to forget all of that. I want you to have peace. Your sins are gone. Are gone. That is a, that's a fundamental teaching, but it's hard to get. You're, you know, when, when I played sports, the coach would always make us start out all the time dribbling, passing, and doing layups. Now, you know how many layups we did? Like a million. And you're like, come on, let's run some plays. Let's try to... F-. And he was like, do layups. Because you know what would happen? You'd be in the game... And it'd be a little tense. And you'd go up. You're all by yourself. And there's a breakaway. And you know what you would miss? A layup. Now, a layup is a really simple shot. It's really basic. It's supposed to be a gimme. Right? It's supposed to be... But sometimes you mess it up. And, and by the way, there's nothing more embarrassing than that, is there? Right? You're all by yourself. I guess the only thing worse is, I don't know, scoring on the wrong side. I don't know. But... <laughs> It's still awful, but it happens. And sometimes Satan comes to us, these very simple fundamental things, and he gets at you, and you start thinking about yourself, well, maybe I'm not forgiven, or or, how could God truly love me? You would be surprised how many people struggle with that. And yet it is a fundamental understanding Sometimes we just need to be alone with God and just say, Lord, help me just to truly understand and remind me that you have forgiven me and that you love me. And just to have that peace. Just to have that peace. This is something that we need to have. And application number four there, we need to value your forgiveness. You need to value that. You know... People, when they first come to Christ, they act this way. They love it. They're so excited about it. The burden's lifted. But over the years, they're like, oh, yeah, I am Christian." Because It's easy to become ho-hum about it. Become, yeah yeah, to devalue it. And that's why we need to value it. That's why we need to think hard about it. You need to see yourself in this story as one of the two people. You're either the woman or you're the Pharisee. And Jesus, we understand the great truth Paul gives us in Romans 5.1 is that since we are justified by faith, right? That's how this woman was saved. Saved by faith. Your faith has saved you. You have to come to him in faith. But what we see is he says we have peace with God, not through our own efforts but because of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is an incredible statement that would do you well, Romans 5.1, to go home and meditate on. To fill your mind with, to think about it. Go in peace. Go in peace. So as we conclude, I ask you, are you like this humble woman, learning, understanding who Jesus is, learning and understanding who you are, seeing your greatest need? And he fills it. The, the text doesn't actually say what the Pharisee decides. It doesn't say what he actually ends up doing. But we do see the fact that at the beginning he was not a believer. The Pharisee trusted in his own self. I don't have any need for grace. I don't have any need for Christ. I'm good. You need Christ. You need Christ. Whether you have Christ right now, you continually need Him. So go to Him. Go to Him for your peace. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful for all that You have done for us. And Lord, when I consider... how you have forgiven your people. It is astounding. Your grace, your mercy. Lord, many of us have run away. Many of us have lived lives that were anti-God. We were your enemies. And yet, it was then that Christ died for us. Lord, I just want to pray two simple things. First, that we would recognize that we have all been forgiven much, those who know Christ. And so my prayer is, Lord, help us to love much. Help us to love you as the commandments boil down. Help us to to love you and to love others. Help us to love much. And second, Lord, for anybody here who does not know you, Satan may tell them, they may be thinking in their own mind, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. The Lord knew the Pharisees' thoughts. If the Lord was willing to forgive the Pharisee and this woman, He's willing to forgive you. If He's willing to forgive me, He's willing to forgive you. You just need to turn from your sin and turn to Christ. And He will give you peace. Lord, help us to think deeply about these things, to value our forgiveness, to value what You have done for us. Help us to live that out, Lord. When it asks, Who is this that even forgives sin? We can say, He, He is my Lord. Father, I pray that you will help us to go forth and glorify you, to love you and to love others. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, we're excited to have. uh,